You guys can have a seat. Uh, again, I just want to say thanks for being here. If you're new with us, even on our last Friday here, thanks for coming out. Uh, welcome, and uh, hope that you enjoy, have enjoyed the night with us so far. And now as we look to God's Word, this is what we always do. We, we look to the Bible and what God has to say uh, from His Word. Um, uh, tonight, as we close the year, sort of in our final time together, I want to look at a passage uh, that serves as sort of a charge to the seniors in sort of a way, but that is really an encouragement to the rest of us as well as we consider what's ahead of us, whether that is uh, the summer or that is your sort of long-term future as a senior. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, we'll look at just two verses, verses 6 and 7, and uh, believe that this passage tonight will be so helpful that whether you are come next fall a resident of Westwood still or not, that my prayer is that this passage is a, tonight a timely reminder for you from God's Word, a, a source of encouragement maybe to your soul. Um, in studying these two verses uh, this week, my prayer has been that, uh, like many verses that we've looked at together over the past few years, uh, one or two verses like Romans 8.1 or Philippians 1.6 or Philippians 1.21, that uh, these kinds of passages, these kinds of verses might become dear to you in a different way, perhaps clearer and more distinct to you as you read them uh, and come back to them. And maybe they're helpful verses in the future to return to, to anchor your soul to. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul the Apostle writes, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray again. Father, we are so grateful for the truth in these two verses. Uh, simple, and profound truth that I pray by the power of your spirit would stir up our hearts to desire to faithfully follow Christ for the rest of our days. So Father, we ask your help by your spirit to illumine our minds and work in our hearts as we look to your word. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a classic question, and a question maybe that might be and maybe should be at the forefront of your minds at the end of the year at a time like this. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Really, where, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Are you working in the industry that you're studying in? Uh, don't get ahead of yourself, but are you married by then? How many jobs have you had? And how many Teslas do you have in your garage? And uh, how many degrees more than uh, your bachelor's do you have? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Think to yourself. Where do you see yourself in five years? Maybe that's a harder question to answer. 
less hope and dreamy, but more immediate. But what about just in one year? Some of you guys' lives will be just completely different, even just in a year. And as we stand on the last Friday of the year, I could even ask you, what's your life going to be like in two weeks? How will it be different just past graduation or for some of you not graduating quite yet, even just past these finals? That's going to be a big deal for some of you guys. Uh, It might be hard to believe, but let me be the first to break it to you. Your life is going to be completely different in just two weeks. Uh, Some of you guys will have a bachelor's degree of some kind or a a nursing degree. That's more than just a bachelor's. You've explained it to me before. Uh, Some of you guys will have a master's degree in uh, just two weeks. Others of you will be Somewhere rainier and colder doing an internship that will set you up for the next 10 years, Lord willing. Some of you guys are still looking for that, and that's okay. Your life will be different in just a short matter of time. And in thinking about seasons of transition, we tend to see the uncertainties even if we're glass half full kind of people. Uh, We tend to, even if we don't think we're emotional, sense the emotion in these kinds of seasons. Uh, When change is just right around the corner, we sort of shut down in a way that we don't normally. We start to see the responsibility we have to make this work, to make this thing float. For some of you seniors, on top of that, I think, Many of you have heard of and know of people who have gone from us, Grace on Campus, or even from Grace Church, who struggle in their faith after college. And you think, what do I need to do to stay faithful to the Lord? Fearful sort of thought. But we begin to think about what we must do. In seasons of transition, when things are going well, we see our role in that success. In those same seasons of transition, when we can't land that internship or the job, or we haven't gotten into the schools that we want to, we get fixated again on our failures. Our view of life in the Christian life, for that matter, our walk with the Lord is invariably fixed Uh, on our own experience of it, maybe naturally, our own part in it. Uh, We look to the future, we look to change, and we see mainly, and again, maybe, maybe naturally, our own role in it, whether it's our lack or our need or our effort or the need for our effort, our time, our responsibility, When all along, the reality is that God is working. So our hearts need to be reminded and reassured that He is working. And we need to be reminded from a divine perspective, a simple one tonight, of what the Christian walk is. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 give us a 
rather simple but profound picture of what the Christian life is. It is a simple, stable, secure walk with Jesus. This is such an important text for us to look at tonight because I believe in the face of transition and change in your life, the Word of God brings a clarion sort of simplicity and clarity to our thinking as we end the quarter and land the plane here and sort of move on to the next season of life, whether that's summer or a new thing. Tonight we'll see the reality of the great hope and help we have as we walk in Him. And yet at the same time, my prayer is that we'll see also our responsibility as we walk in Him. To actually walk in Him. I believe it's a helpful sort of holistic perspective as to the simplicity and security and the stability of faithful living. So in these two verses, let's look at a guide for faithful living. Let's look at four guidelines for a faithful walk. Four guidelines for a faithful walk. Four instructions, if you please, for how to walk in Him faithfully to the end. The first instruction, the first guideline is this in verse 6. Consider what you've received. Consider what you've received. Paul begins his instruction in verse 6 with a simple statement about the Christian walk. Look back there. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Paul is simply saying, as you've received Christ, so continue on in Him. As you've received Christ, so in the same way, in the same manner, in like manner, simply continue, walk in Him. The core of this instruction is familiar to us. It's uh, an instruction we saw in Philippians this year in chapter 1. It's to walk. It's a usual word that Paul uses in his letters to say walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel, or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's even earlier in this book of Colossians, Paul says a similar thing. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's the word peripateo. It's kind of a non-special, somewhat pedestrian kind of word. It literally just means to walk. Here and there. To walk on a path. In Paul's language, it means to conduct one's life in a way that is fitting to the Lord or the Gospel. It's a common New Testament idea that encapsulates a submission of will. It encapsulates obedience. It encapsulates following Jesus on an everyday sort of, uh, sort of level. Colossians 1.10, look there. Paul says, pray for you, verse 9, that in all spiritual that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk 
in a manner worthy of the Lord. That same word there. Fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And now here in chapter 2, Paul is saying, in the Christian life, there is a simplicity and a consistency to your walk with how simply you received Christ to begin with. You see, the reality of a lifetime of faithfully walking with Christ for years and years and decades and decades is merely a continuation of the reality of having received Christ in salvation. The the Christian life, as it continues forward through all the trials and triumphs of life, uh, through every valley and every storm and every mountain peak of success, is a walk that every day is the very same walk as the first day when you received Him. It's that same walk as you received Him, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. There's a simplicity to that. You see, if you are a Christian, that you received Christ, you were saved by the grace of God in Christ, and as you now walk, you are now sustained by the grace of God in Christ. If you are a Christian, you in salvation were given Christ's righteousness, and as you walk, you still do have that same righteousness. If you are a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, then made alive together with Christ, and still now, as you walk in Him, you continue to live in Him, alive together with Him. All of the benefits and blessings of Christ, many of which we looked at together at retreat just two weeks ago, are what you received at the point of salvation and now, as you walk, are still the same. They're still the same glorious truths and the Bible tells us they are only increasing as you walk with Jesus. What Paul is saying here in a very simple way is how you started, keep going. What you were given, He is enough. In that God has given us Christ, that is sufficient for us to ever and always faithfully walk in Him. Now the church in Colossae faced false teachers, and this is why Paul brings this kind of instruction at this point in the book. Uh, These false teachers held to a syncretism, a mixture of Judaism and Hellenism and Christianity even, and there was a sense in which uh, these false teachers uh, taught whatever the people wanted to hear. Uh, These false teachers maintained that a good and holy God could not have possibly existed in a natural, material world. A good God could not be tainted by 
the material. And so uh, these false teachers held to a dualism that made a distinction between uh, the Jesus who suffered and died on a sinner's cross and then uh, the Jesus who was different and separate, who was the supreme Savior and Lord over all. And that because of these logical impossibilities, Jesus could therefore not be God. That's what these false teachers taught anyway. And they taught that the way to understand these things was through a hidden knowledge, a gnosis, available only to the spiritually elite. And so these false teachers taught Jesus, but denied his true person and work. In fact, over and against what Paul is saying here, they dressed up their error with a sort of self-reliant religiosity that we see at the end of chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes this instruction against the the man-made religion of these false teachers. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Jesus faced a similar group, a, a different group, but with the same problem in Mark 7. Turn there. Look at Mark 7. And Jesus faces these Judaizers or this Jewish excuse me, these Jew, Jewish leaders in Mark 7 who held to the traditions and commandments of men, these scribes and Pharisees, and they debate Jesus and try to trick Him and ask Him about why His disciples do not walk according to the traditions of the elders. And look at verse 6. Jesus' response, and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. That's what the church in Colossae faces, and that's what Paul is instructing these believers against. That's his primary concern in terms of religious issues in that church, and that's why Paul's instruction is what it is in our passage tonight. But look at verse 8, the next verse in in chapter 2, right after our passage. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And then look there. And not according to Christ. You see, these false teachers taught the traditions of men. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. 
Uh, but Paul is saying against all of that, that looks great to the outside world, that makes it look like you're godly, forget that. Simply follow Christ. Walk in Him just as you received Him. Uh, the solution is simple. Uh, this is a faithful life, a faithful walk. Not dependent on keeping the traditions and commandments of man, but the truth that we have received about Christ and the life that we have received in Him. That's why earlier in Colossians, Paul sets forth a clear understanding of the sufficiency and the supremacy of the person and work of Jesus Christ the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. You see, this, GFC, this is Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, the One whom we have received. Uh, this is the One we have received in the Gospel. And so now we walk into Him. Uh, this is the Jesus so graciously given to us by the Father. Uh, this is the One in whom, chapter 1, verse 14 says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So to have received Him is to so now walk in Him. Continue in Him. In the same manner, in the same way that you've received Him. This is a walk that is filled with grace. This is a walk that is full of reliance on the righteousness of Christ. This is a walk full of freedom from sin and Freedom from death. Freedom from fear. This is a walk of submitting our wills to the Lord. This is a, a walk of love for the Lord and for the others around us. As you've received Him, so walk in Him. Now, if you've not received this Jesus, maybe... It's your first time with us tonight, and this is the first you're hearing of this Jesus. Or maybe you've been with us for this whole year, or maybe even four years. This is the first step. You must receive Jesus. Being here with our group and blending in, learning how to sort of walk with us, so to speak, will not save you from the punishment you deserve for your sin. 
You cannot just learn to act like a Christian, behave like a Christian, without having first, Paul is saying here, received Christ. You must receive Christ. You see, the bad, terrible news is that your sin against a holy God has created a chasm far too far for any human to ever try to achieve and earn a way back to God. But God in His kindness gave us His Son as the perfect sacrifice for our sin, such that His perfect righteousness is given to us in the Gospel. And He takes our sin upon Himself on that cross. That is the gracious gift we all have received. And if you have not yet received that gift, tonight can be that night. Uh, Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Uh, Behold, today is the day for salvation for you. Uh, Turn from your own way of living, trying to earn your way through this life and prove yourself worthy and trying to earn your way all the way into eternity. And embrace Jesus, this one who has always been and ever will be. This Jesus of Colossians 1, 15-20, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and achieved reconciliation for us. Receive this Jesus. That's the first step. That the Colossians would understand this and live to that end and that we would, GOC, understand that and live to this end is Paul's prayer in this book. In fact, he writes one of the greatest prayers in the Bible in chapter 1. Look at verse 9. and The heart of that prayer is what's in our passage tonight. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the verse we saw earlier, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. No secret hidden knowledge is needed here. No man-made religion. No works needed. No need to earn favor with a righteous God. Simply instead, an understanding and a recognition that as chapter 1 verse 26 says, we have received the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. As chapter 1, verse 27 says, to us God chose to make known the greatness of the riches of His glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Grace on campus, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, this hope of glory, let us now walk in Him.
There's a second guideline in this passage for faithful living in the first part of verse 7, and it's stay on the firm foundation. Stay on the firm foundation. In the beginning of verse 7, we see two powerful word pictures that show us the supreme advantage we have from a supreme Christ as we walk in Him. And it's that He is our firm foundation. He is the rock on which we stand. He is the chief cornerstone of our faith. As those who have received Christ, we can and we do now continue to walk in Him because and with the reality of being rooted, verse 7, and built up. In Him. This is the stability that life in Christ provides. That even as we walk, even as we proceed forward in the Christian life, we have the firm foundation that is Christ Jesus the Lord. And so we must stay on that firm foundation. Again, it's a simple truth. It's Stability that is not based on us. It's stability not even based on our own self-control or our own ability to control our feelings or keep it together or earn the right kinds of grades or do the right kinds of things. It's stability that is based on the sure reality of Christ and Christ alone. These two verbs here, rooted and built up are, excuse my North Campus for a moment, passive participles. It just means they are things that happen to you. They're passive. You are rooted. You are built up by the work of God. They are also participles, and so what that means simply is that they are either ongoing actions or things that are happening to you, or they have ongoing implications. It's something that happened in the past but still has effect in your life. And so if you're still with me on the grammar, the first is uh, the perfect tense. It's a past action, a past uh, thing that's happened that has ongoing implications. And then the second is present tense. So it's it's something that is continually ongoing a reality in your life. The ESV doesn't really capture this here. I like the LSB. It translates it this way. Having been firmly rooted and being built up in Him captures the ongoing nature of these two words. These are two metaphors, two word pictures that signify and characterize a singular reality of our being firmly, securely grounded in Christ as we walk in Him. Now, the first metaphor we see here is agricultural. It's that of a tree. As we walk in Christ, our spiritual reality is that we are firmly planted. We are rooted in the firm and fertile soil that is our Savior. 
It's likely Paul had the imagery of Psalm 1 in mind here, which describes the person, the man of God, who abides in God's wisdom and God's word. That psalm, verse 3, says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And now we as New Testament believers have the Word incarnate who is this Christ that we see in Colossians. Uh, The very fulfillment and fullness of God's wisdom and revelation. And see, we have been firmly planted, rooted in Him. John 15 describes a similar reality. Turn there. A similar reality, a different word picture, but a similar one to what is being described here. Look at John 15 as Jesus talks about being the vine and we are the branches. John 15, look at verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Drop down to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. This picture that Christ, Jesus, is the vine, and we are the branches, similar to the metaphor we see in Colossians 2, of us being rooted, firmly planted in Him, unable to do anything apart from Christ, who is the vine, or Christ, who is the soil who enriches us ever as we walk in Him. It's a security and a sureness and a steadfastness that is the same truth we see in Hebrews 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. An anchoring a steadfastness, a sureness, a security, a confident hope as we walk in Him. We are firmly rooted in the person and the work of Christ, stable and secure. There's a wild fig tree at what is called the Echo Caves in South Africa. Uh, the tree is believed to be a few thousand years old. And this tree holds the world record for longest roots, which I don't know how you measure the world record, but it's in a cave, and so that's how this tree was measured. Its roots are 393 feet 
long and counting, stretching far and wide throughout this cave system in South Africa to gather the water and the nutrients necessary for this great tree's growth, for it to bear fruit. And it's got the world record. It's going nowhere. But I want you to imagine what would it take to uproot this tree? What would it take to even just move this tree over just a little bit, just a few inches? But what would it take to take all of its roots so integrally connected in that cave system and in the soil around it, just over a smidge, just two inches? It would be close to impossible. And yet, Christian, the sureness of hope and the stability of life that we have as we walk in Him, secured at our salvation and from even before the ages began, our being rooted in Christ dwarfs even the sureness and security of that old fig tree at the Echo Caves in South Africa. Uh, This tree would be so easily uprooted like it was nothing compared to God's work in our salvation, not just thousands of years old, but from before even time began. We are rooted in this Christ that Colossians 1.15 tells us is the He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By Him all things were created, and through Him all things, and for Him all things. And so as we walk in Him, we have been firmly rooted. We have been firmly rooted in the truth of who Jesus is, as the the eternally existent God, Uh, We have been firmly rooted in the one whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We have been firmly rooted in the one who made peace by the blood of his cross. We are stable and secure as we walk in him. Because, Colossians 2, 7, we are firmly rooted in him. There's here a second word picture that strengthens this idea even further, and it's not agricultural, it's architectural. It's the idea of being built up, but on the foundation, on the foundation that is Christ. It's a truth we see in 1 Corinthians 3. Turn there quickly to see this. 1 Corinthians 3, as Paul talks about his partnership in ministry with others in the gospel. This is Paul's perspective of the work of God in the house of God. He talks about Apollo, uh, excuse me, Apollos and, and Paul and uh, others, uh, yet God gives the growth. And then in verse 11, this is Paul's beautiful perspective. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is our firm foundation. He is 
the very baseline and bedrock of our faith, Christ himself. It's what Isaiah 28 uh, foretold and 1 Peter 2 affirms that Jesus is a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's also what Ephesians 2 affirms. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now a cornerstone is the first stone laid in a building project. I don't know much about building projects and maybe you don't either. But the cornerstone is the first stone that is laid down in this day and age of AutoCAD and AI and chat GPT that probably could build a building for us. That first stone still has to be right. It has to be laid right. Because everything around it, everything on top of it and everything adjacent to it is built on that first stone. And that is the beautiful picture that the Bible paints of our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 3 and in these passages in Isaiah and 1 Peter 2 and Ephesians 2 that Jesus himself is that foundation and that cornerstone upon which the rest of God's redemptive work is laid and the rest of the building is built. And Colossians 2 shows us we are being built up in Him. That Jesus, who is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, He is the foundation stone in God's great plan of salvation. He is the one on whom and around whom all things are oriented in history. He is the Lord over all and the one whom we serve. He is the sure and steady anchor of our souls. He is the firm foundation, the very bedrock of our assurance and supreme confidence of our hope. What help we have. What encouragement we have. What confidence we have when we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls, when we have a firm foundation who has existed in eternity past and will exist into eternity, what great hope and help we have in this Jesus that we have been rooted in Him and are being built up in Him. Nothing of ourselves, but all of Christ. Now all of this is the reality for the true believer. And yet here in Colossians 2, Paul, as he sees and hopes for God's work in the lives of these believers, he also sees the responsibility in this for the Colossians. And I see it for us. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. This is our responsibility to indeed continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And so we must stay on that firm foundation that we have. We have received Christ. We have Christ. And so now walk in Him. And as you walk in Him, stay 
on the firm foundation. Stay rooted. Stay being built up in Him. These are precious realities. And yet Paul isn't done here. There's a third guideline and more hope and help for faithful living that we see here. And it's in verse 7b. Mature in what you've been taught. Mature in what you've been taught. As Paul further characterizes this kind of faithful living, this walking in Him as we've received Him, he points not only to the firmness of our foundation in Christ, but also to the ongoing work of God in the believer's life. Look at the middle of verse 7. Built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. This, is, this established is also a present participle. It's an ongoing reality, just like being built up in Him. And there's a sense in which we have already been firmly rooted and we've already been, begun being built up in Him and we've already begun being established. But it's something that continues and is ongoing. That we are being built up. We are being established. And this word established is also translated being strengthened or being confirmed. You see, as we walk in Him, we must not only stay on the firm foundation, stay rooted and grounded on Christ. Paul is showing us here, just by grammar, the necessity of maturing in what we've been taught. Now this is first and foremost, deepening our love for our Savior. It's fixing our eyes on this Jesus that we've seen in Colossians. This is maturing in our understanding of who He is and all that He has done for us. This is growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's beholding the glory of our risen Savior and knowing Him more and more. Look at John 20. I want to just show you something from the book of John. This is how we must keep being established in our faith and in our love for our Savior. In John 20, verse 31, John gives the purpose for the book, purpose for the Gospel of John. John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, believe, that by believing you may have life in His name. The Gospel of John and the Bible is for us to know the truth about Jesus. And then look at what John says in John 21, 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What a beautiful exit to the book of John and seeing that that book in and of itself is sufficient to know eternal life in Jesus. And yet John ends that book by saying, yet there was so much more to say about what Christ did and who He is and all that He has done for us. Uh, the books of the world could not even contain them. This is the inexhaustible 
Christ that we serve. There was always more to learn. Always more to know about Him. Always more to love about Him. It should always lead us to worship Him. GOC, my prayer is that we would have an insatiable desire to grow in our love for our Savior. And so as we are being established in the faith, this is indeed growing in our love for Christ Himself. But it's also growing in our Christ-likeness. This is in this next season of life, whether you're in a new church or you're still with us here, it's participating in all that God has laid out for you in the Christian life, in, life of, in the life of the church, in, in biblical friendships, in baptism and communion, in the one another's, in ministry and discipleship, in the word and in prayer. And then seeing the great effect of the power of the Spirit in your life, maturing you, further establishing you, further strengthening you. And that you'll see that it's by His power, by His means, that you are strengthened and confirmed and further established as one who is His. You see, you may be like Timothy, who from a young age learned the things of God, Or you may be like the Apostle Paul whose transformation was radical and maybe yours even recent. Whatever your story, just as you were taught the Gospel, just as you were taught the truth about Christ, taught the things of God, taught the amazing work of the Spirit in your life, so you must also still now walk and mature in those things. For those who have received Christ, to whom grace upon grace has been extended, you can never graduate the gospel. You can never be beyond hope and help and challenge and counsel. You can never be so mature that others around you can't, Colossians 1.28, by the wisdom of Christ, present you more mature in Christ. You see, being firmly rooted, being built up in Him like a, in in a ministry like ours, can have this terrible effect, this awful effect of getting you to think that you've made it. If you've become a leader or you've spent a certain amount of years in our ministry, or maybe you've finally stopped falling asleep, that in some way you've made it. There's some kind of arriving you've done. There's kind of an achievement-itis a punch card kind of mentality. And a mentality that can be so detrimental to our perception of the reality of what the Christian walk actually is. It can get you to think that at some point you've arrived and you've got less and less to learn or less to mature in and and grow in. But here in Colossians 2, the reality is that the walk the Christian is a walk in Him that is simply the continuation of, have, uh, of having been given grace in Christ. It's an existence, a path, a walk of ever faithfully following Christ and always being humbly, humbly growing in grace. A lifelong pursuit of maturity in Christ. Being willing to grow in the things that we have been taught and are being taught ever and always. And so, 
as we walk, we must see the truth that we are being established. We are being strengthened. We are being matured and we are being grown. And we must, as we walk, seek to mature in what we've been taught. The fourth and final guideline for the faithful life is in the end of verse 7. Give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. Paul's instruction ends here with the heart posture that I believe captures uh, the entire instruction in these two verses. It's really the heart of uh, the book of Colossians. As those who have received Christ, those who have been rooted and are being built up in Him, those who are being established in the faith, those who have been taught and passed down the life-changing truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, more than anyone, have so much to be thankful for. We even look back at one year of God's faithfulness in our ministry, and we have countless things to be thankful for in Christ. And so we must be where Paul has us in the end of verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness. We who are in Christ are filled to overflowing. We have Christ, the very image of the invisible God. We have Him who the very fullness of God was pleased to dwell, who Himself is our reconciliation to God. We have, chapter 2, verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And so blessed, so amply supplied are we that we ought to be abounding in thanksgiving. Again, a, a simple truth. And yet how often are we ungrateful? How often do we presume upon God's grace, holding the rights of Christ and the riches of Christ in one hand and holding on to our sin in the other hand? How often are we expecting of others and entitled, spoiled with the riches of His mercy that we forget who we once were before we received Christ? Titus chapter 3 gives us a good reminder of who we once were and who we are now. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing, regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is who we once were and who we now are being given Christ. And it's with that reality of who we once were in our rearview mirrors and with our new walk in Christ, our new path of righteousness, that our hearts ought to be driven to gratitude, to thankful worship to God. It's why Colossians shows us over and over, chapter 1, verse 3, our natural overflow 
ought to be thanks to God as we see others grow in the faith. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, that we ought to be thankful for His work in salvation, that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We ought to be thankful in chapter 3, verse 15, as the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. Chapter 3, verse 16, that we ought to be thankful as we sing of the riches of Christ and admonish and warn one another in Jesus as we sing. Chapter 3, verse 17, that in everything that we do, that we ought to do it out of thankfulness in our hearts to God. And that verse, chapter 3, verse 17, shows us that in one sense our thankfulness to God is the fruit of a faithful life. It's the result. We are driven to thankfulness as we see the blessings of God. But it's also further fuel for faithful living. You see, when we see clearly the many blessings we have in our life in Christ, we are driven to gratitude. We have 10,000 reasons for our hearts to be grateful to God. And yet when we are grateful, we ought to express our gratitude to God in singing, yes, in worship, but yes, also in worship with our lives. Again, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so as we've received Christ Jesus our Lord and so walk in Him, gratitude should mark our lives and therefore fuel our worship for all that He has done. Do you see it's passages like this, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. That should help us to see the simplicity and the clarity, the Christ-centeredness of the Christian life. The very straightforward need for us to simplify and untangle from all the excess in our lives that we've confused for what it means to follow Jesus. And we must simply focus on a day-by-day walk with our Savior. It's the answer to your question, how do I stay faithful in this next season of life away from GOC as I move to a different city? It's the answer to the question, how do I stay faithful at my home church over the summer when there's not many other people my age? It's the answer to your question in your struggle with sin. It's the answer to your question when you think that you're in a really good place and in a week from now you feel real dry the answer to our questions about what we should do or how we should proceed next. All the complications of life come down for the Christian to this one thing. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. see as you embark on this summer, the next season of your life, look to Christ. And as you've received Him, Simply so walk in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Its simple truth pierces our hearts and gives us so much clarity to how we must proceed. And we have a simple task, Father, to follow our Savior. 
we've received Him, so many of us, and for that I'm thankful. But Father, we must simply now walk in Him. We have so many blessings that we've seen in this passage. So much security and stability that we have in our Savior based not on ourselves, but on who He is and what He has done. And so, Father, we return to You thankful, even tonight as we wrap up another year of ministry and look to our Savior now, fixing our eyes on Jesus, grateful for all that You have done and in all that You've given to us in Him. Father, we ask by Your Spirit that You would change our hearts where we need repenting. Father, give us much grace where we need comfort and peace. Give us much hope and help, Father, as we get weary toward the end of this quarter. And Father, now as we sing and as tomorrow we even think upon your great blessings and rejoice in the great many things you've done, give us, Lord, as this passage has left us here, hearts that are abounding in thanksgiving to a gracious God. Thank you for you are good. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.